headed out. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we are once again joined by the original first ever guest of the show. That's right, folks. Returning is the legend, Blake Bletchner. You know him from LAFC Central Show. Follow them at LAFC Central Show, at Blake Bletchner on all your social media, and of course, at ACFC Blake worked with Angel City Football Club. You know him. He's been covering LAFC and sports in the region since 2017. The prodigal son returns to shoulder to shoulder. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week will be Jonathan Harrison. You can follow him at John Harrison 90 He's the radio host and producer for Minnesota United's radio broadcast. As always, folks, I'm Jonathan Reimer. Joining me this week is Mr. Christopher Sines. Good evening, sir. What's going on? What's going on? Black and gold faithful. Glad to be back. Glad to have another win under our belt. Getting ready for this match this weekend against Minnesota United. Hopefully we can add another win to that win column. When I was looking at the total head-to-head versus all-time against Minnesota United, I was a little shocked to find out that LAFC just only won one time against Minnesota United. I I guess I just felt like it was more because of the number of times we've played, but it's an all-time record of one win two losses and three ties. So uh, I'm hoping that we can add another win in that on, on uh, this Saturday. We would always like to give our shouts out to Christian Aparicio, who is currently in Arizona at his sister's graduation. He should be joining us up again next week. Christian shouts to you and your sister. Congratulations. All right, Chris, you mentioned that we had a win since our last show, but I dare say I must correct you, sir. We have had two wins since our last show. You forgot, sir that we took down the fight in orange curtains. Yep, LAFC defeat OCSC 5-1 to in the U.S. Open Cup. So before we get into the game with FCC, let's go ahead and unpack this one because there was a lot of fun stuff going on here. Palacios is captain, wins man of the match. You got braces for Moose and Chicho. You've got Kyle Jennings getting on the score sheet. And we advance to face Portland Timbers in the next match. So what were your thoughts on the cup game midweek, my friend? The first thing that stood out was the lineup. I think that we had talked about it. And I think that getting that good blend of some starters, some of our substitute players, and even getting appearances of some of our players that we haven't seen play for LAFC yet this season I think that that was what we expected. So to see that and to see the team perform well, I think that was obviously impressive, especially a side like Orange County SC. As we had mentioned in the last episode, they were the reigning USL championship champions. So being able to take down a side like that five to one, I think is an impressive showing. You know, there have been plenty of these USL championship sides that had taken down MLS teams. Some of these USL championship sides had barely lost to MLS teams by one goal. So for LAFC to come out and have this dominant of a performance against the reigning champion in the USL championship, I think was a strong showing, especially from the players that we had put out on the pitch as our starters. Getting Diego Palacios as the captain, I think that that was an interesting move, you know, because I I think that we so far this season have been a little critical of Diego Palacios and his performance But there's obviously something that Dolo trusts in Diego Palacios and his experience and his leadership on the on the squad to be able to give him that captain's armband. And so, you know, maybe we're looking too much into some of what we are deeming as out of position or bad performance from him. You know, I I couldn't see 
Steve Cherundolo giving that role and responsibility to a player who is not performing his role and responsibility as, as a player correctly. So I thought that that was good to see. I think that that gives us a little peek behind the curtain as to where Dolo is and how he rates people on his squad. Danny Masovsky, I mean, he did really well in that game, got himself two goals again, that carried on through to the game against the game that we just had this past weekend. And it, uh, it, it's, it's great to see, you know, Musovsky was definitely one of those players that has been a strong striker to come off of the bench. And when he does get those starts in, he still puts in a strong performance. And I'm excited to see the matches against Portland. Uh, I think that that's going to be a good match. It's going to be a Tuesday night game. And uh, I'm hoping that LAFC comes out and gets a little bit of revenge against Portland. And we continue on and we see who our next opponent is after that. I was convinced we were going to be facing Galaxy in this next round. I I thought for sure that's the way the odds were going to drop. And so it looks like we're going to have to go through Portland to find our way to a chance at Carson and a chance at Redemption. The Galaxy are facing the only lower division team to have advanced through. So barring an upset, which is certainly possible, it looks like the winner of this match, uh, assuming... Groups don't get reseeded. I'm not sure if there's another pot draw for this one. I'm assuming we play the winner of that match within our same region. And then we would be playing Galaxy, which is very interesting. But uh, this game as a whole was a really fun game to watch, right? I mean, we got to see a team put their best foot forward, try and step up against the professionals. And, and not that OCSE aren't professionals, but it's certainly a different tier from facing an LAFC squad like the one that they had to face. And, you know, the fact that, Rather than training on that day, we rested all our starters and then brought them in to get 30 minutes of run at the end of the game. I thought was a cheeky move from Dolo. Continues to be very eclectic and yet efficient in his subs late in games. Um, His ways to manage minutes, keep fitness up. And uh, was a little worried when Vela came in a game. He had absolutely no business being in. And then, uh, you know, he kind of took a mean knock there, a little... uh, little dirty stuff from from OCSC late in the game that I was a little worried why we had Vela out there. But uh, he needed to get warmed up and get ready for this game versus Cincinnati. And all in all, we beat the team we should have beat. We did so handily. We did, however, give up our first goal in a second half all season. And, of course, it is Orange County that scored that goal, the first team to score on LAFC in the second half all year. But I thought that was an odd end to that trend, although it still continues throughout the course of MLS games where I I suppose it really matters. Any final thoughts on the Open Cup game before we talk about Cincinnati? Uh, No, we've covered it in in great detail. I'm just looking forward to the opportunity, actually thinking about bringing my son's soccer team out to this match i know that there was some tickets that had been made available but we just weren't able to make the last minute arrangements but now that we know that it's going to be on the 10th we're definitely making arrangements to be out there and if anybody else is interested in bringing out any of their youth soccer teams out to this match they should hit up uh well they could hit us up and we can give them the information as to who they could reach out to but the club is offering you know, that opportunity to team. So if you guys know a young sports team and are interested to try and go to the game, hit us up and we can point you in the right direction. That doesn't have to be a soccer team. It could be a football team, baseball, be tennis team. I don't care. Bring your volleyball team, your surf team out. Let's fill this bank up, man. I want to see this place get loud. I don't, you know, I don't care how we do it, especially for cup games like this. What a great opportunity to bring the kids out and get a chance to experience the bank. But moving along, we went out to Ohio 
and were able to come from behind and defeat FC Cincinnati. So in our first ever visit to their new stadium, it's only been around a couple of years, but either way, our first trip out to Cincinnati since the last time we faced them at the bank and took care of them 2-0. Although I must say, um, pretty different team we faced this week, right? We, we talked about it on the last show. They had seven or eight of their starting 11 out versus a stacked LAFC roster. You had to think that this was going to be one-sided from the beginning. And yet it was a pretty cagey and sloppy first half. And, you know, sloppiness ultimately ended up in us yielding a goal there in stoppage time in the first half. Uh, but in typical Dolo fashion so far, he made some great subs throughout the course of the second half. We were able to get back in it. Kellen Acosta scores an absolute screamer. And then once again, the moose is loose. He finds the back of the net on a beautiful dime from Vela and LAFC waltz out with a 2-1 victory. We did, unfortunately, see an injury to Donnell Henry in this game. But with Fall coming back from suspension, hopefully he has time to recover. And hopefully Eddie Segura is still not the perennial six weeks away from being ready and has a chance to come back soon to help give us some defensive replacement. But Chris, what were your thoughts on our come from behind win versus the three-time Wooden Spoon champions? Honestly, I was a little discouraged, a little disappointed. I think that we see that FCC is at the bottom of the table for the East Coast. And they're a team that is struggling right now with keeping players healthy and or out of disciplinary action. It was a abbreviated side. And for us to have the mental lapse in the first half, I just, I don't understand, you know, especially sitting out some of our starters, giving them the rest, you know, fitting in the, the U S open cup match midweek after the performance we had to, it just was disappointing to see LAFC being able to revert back to a, a style of play where they just don't look sharp and crisp again, especially against opponents that you shouldn't be challenged like that. You shouldn't have to be down in a situation like this and to go into FC Cincinnati down at halftime and then have to climb back. It just, it it's a situation that I don't necessarily want to see LAFC go into and against a, a more, equipped team for a higher caliber play if you have these mental lapses and you go down one nil at halftime it's probably going to be a lot harder to come back and get those two goals for you to get your victory you know but it's a matter of the players and the coaching and the strategy and I'm sure there's a lot of things that are outside of my understanding of of world football that could explain as to what specifically happened in that first half. But I was happy to see that LAFC came out in the second half and was able to make the changes necessary to right the ship. That screamer, that was a great goal from Kellen Acosta. Like what? And I mean, and actually definitely Danny Wasowski too, both of them top of the net. And I mean, they were unstoppable. And I mean, of course there, it was a ricochet with Kellen Acosta, but still it, those were great looking goals. They came out, they were attacking power and there were definitely a few others, you know, that, that could have also happened that could have led to goals. If a deflection here or there, or a, a little, a little rotation of the foot with a touch of the ball into the net, there were opportunities. And so those were good to see. I just don't like seeing the mental lapses that led to that goal. So let's talk about that goal for a second, because you're in the 48th minute of the first half. You're expecting the ref to blow the whistle. And rather than just dumping the ball down into the offensive end and, and seeing out the half, 
Max Carpeau decides to put a ball on the deck, just a worm burner to the feet of Ilya Sanchez. Sanchez, upon seeing Carpeau wind up to kick, puts his back to goal, it looks like, expecting the ball to come long over the top. And he looks like, you know, he's going to try and get that second ball coming off a defensive header. But instead, he doesn't see the ball on the deck coming straight at him. The ball gets picked off and comes back the other direction. You know, our center backs tried to do the best they could, but it was a quick transition moment. They went to block, got deked off the shot, and it was a pretty good placement shot into the back of the net there. But are you putting that goal on Max for attempting a pass that didn't seem to fit the situation or the time of the game and certainly went to a player that wasn't expecting it? I don't really know. I think that that's just a moment where players have two different ideas of how it's going to play out. And Max and Ilya have still been playing together for only a few months now. And there's still going to be these things, these learning curves about how players play and what the expectations are. And I'm sure they had a bit of a conversation walking into the locker room as to, Hey man, this is what I was thinking I was going to do in this situation and vice versa. You know, regardless, it doesn't necessarily matter who's to blame. I think that what matters is that it's a learning moment that hopefully those two players that were involved, they understand what the expectation is moving forward so that hopefully a goal like this doesn't happen again, especially against a team where it's going to be harder to fight back to get back that that goal and thus then take the lead again with a second. I, I thought the first half, obviously, look, we didn't find the back of the net, but there were some really bright moments. The connection between Palacios and Vela going down the left side. I mean, I think since putting the captain's armband on Palacios, that seems to have awoken something inside him. This could end up being a brilliant stroke by Dolo because, and, and I know that some of his extended statistics, and there was a great tweet by Celso either yesterday or today, I forget, that kind of dove into some of his statistics that prove he's a much better player than some of us. All right, let's be honest, then I have given him credit for, I'll be the first one to say, I, perhaps I owe him an apology. He looked really good in the last two games and the partnership between him and Vela you know, created some opportunities down that left side that ultimately just didn't find somebody. But I mean, Apoco had a couple of really great looks on goal. You know, if he just doesn't fire those right into the save both times, you know, and frankly, that their young keeper really stepped up and made some some decent saves in this game. I think Chicho had another one on the deck from the right side that was curling towards that far post. He got a hand on, you know, a couple of those shots go our way. We're looking at a completely different storyline, not only in the first half, but throughout the course of this game. And despite that, I thought we had some resiliency to come back in it and find the goals. Absolutely. And, you know, Latif Blessing even had a couple of shots in there, too, where he had a couple of breakaways where he kid was coming down the right side and he curled it in and he shot it wide of the goal. But it, again, it's it's the ability to have those looks and have those opportunities that matter. And as long as LFC keeps having those opportunities, I think that we're going to continue to put goals up, you know, and it's a continuation of last year where we had a lot of opportunities to score. But this year, it seems like we're actually converting on those goals. And that's what matters. LAFC are going to be tested throughout the course. The next month is one of the hardest months on the schedule for LAFC. Seven games in the next four weeks. We have eight games over the 10 weeks after that. So, I mean, it's really going to be a rough stretch for us playing so many games, especially with some of the injuries starting to mount up. But it does sound like, I mean, it certainly looked like Escobar coming back versus Orange County looked good. Perhaps we can see some more minutes from him versus Minnesota. Getting him back would be huge. Falls coming back from yellow card suspension. So we'll have him back. So 
you know, Mario looks healthy. I'm, I'm excited about the direction of the squad, but are you concerned about the injuries piling up? You know, I don't know. And, and actually there's a, just a, another game that you might not have considered is if LAFC wins on the 10th versus Portland, the quarterfinal is set to be May 24th or 25th. So if you look at May 1st through May 28th, LAFC potentially has eight games in these 28 days. And that's Minnesota, Philadelphia, the U.S. Open Cup, Portland on the 10th, Colorado on the 14th, Austin FC on the 18th, Colorado again on the 21st, the U.S. Open Cup quarterfinal potentially on the 24th or 25th, and then San Jose on the 28th. That's, a lot of- that's as many games in this next month as we will play in the two months after it combined. So, I mean, it's it's a lot. There's a lot of games, and I think that the the staff is going to take that into heavy consideration and they're going to look to have a lot of rotation and give give a lot of players a lot of opportunity this is a very very heavy month and if we want to come out of this with healthy players I think that we need to have a conservative approach as to which games are we going to try and go full bore and try and get those W's and which ones are we going to look to maybe put in some some rotational players and give them some extra minutes? And at the end of the day, Steve Terundolo may look to forego the U.S. Open Cup matches because the bigger prize is going to be the MLS Cup and getting a higher seed and having that home field advantage for for the playoffs. And you know it. And that's that's the unfortunate thing about these U.S. Open Cup is that it seems like because it's intertwined with your regular season matches that coaches and teams will end up saying, well, I would rather have my regular season wins and focus on my regular season than focus, than take away from my regular season and focus on these U.S. Open Cups. And, you know, that's unfortunate because I, I would love to see LAFC go and, and, and win a U.S. Open Cup and, and put the effort forward and win that championship. I think part of it just becomes the war of attrition, right? I mean, it, it kind of the teams that face fewer injuries and as a result have deeper squads end up going deeper in the open cup just by merit of being able to put out a better roster. But with roster depth in mind, I guess that leads us to our next point. I mean, that LAFC have signed their fourth homegrown player, the most predictable move, I suppose, at the onset of the season, something we definitely saw coming based on the preseason games in which he got a run in. But the Encino man, Nathan Ordaz has officially signed a professional contract with LAFC. He's going to be the fourth ever homegrown player. Uh, we've got him signed through 2020, 20, sorry, 2025 with an option for 2026. Uh, he's going to get loaned, we know, back and forth between the lights and LAFC, but really a chance to see Ordaz come on up here. Um, 18-year-old, he's played with the academy since U15, 17, and 19 levels. Um, this is a pretty fun prospect, Chris. I mean, he's got some call-ups for the El Salvadorian national team. He did a camp, and I think, with Mexico as well, too, with their U-20s. He's still eligible to play for U.S., El Salvador, or Mexico. But there were some really good things said about him from the club, Amigo. Yeah, absolutely. John Thornton came out and said that Nathan is an incredibly gifted player and has been impressive to see him develop. And Director of Football Operations Marco Garces said that Nathan has technique, intelligence, personality, and speed. And it's exciting to see homegrown players getting signed by LAFC. Unfortunately, we still haven't seen very much of our first three signings. I would say Christian Torres is probably the one that we have seen the most 
Eric Duenas has been injured for some time now. And Tony Leone is, you know, just another one that we haven't necessarily seen. So these are all players that are exciting to anticipate for. But in the short term, I'm not necessarily sure how much we're going to see of them. But it's it's just good to know that our academy system that's in place is is working and and putting out quality players. We've seen if you if anyone follows the LAFC Academy on social media, you'll see that the academy is competitive and is definitely putting in the time that takes to develop players so that they can move up to the next level and play for the black and gold and for the first team. And it's it's also cool to have a local boy. You know, and I'm sure that uh, the clubs that he was a part of, LAFC SoCal Youth, which formerly was Real SoCal, um, you know, that's a local thing, especially for us here that grew up in the Valley. Seeing Real SoCal on weekends, and we talked about this when LAFC SoCal Youth, Real SoCal was bought out by LAFC and they started the youth program of LAFC SoCal Youth. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting to see a local player from the San Fernando Valley potentially going on to represent the black and gold. You know, when I drive to work, I drive right past the university there where the SoCal youth plays on weekends here in the Valley, right on a Winnetka and victory there on my way to the freeway. And every time I see that LAFC SoCal youth, you know, banner and signs it, it just warms my heart to see this club, you know, connected in the community like that. And to see one of our bright young stars potentially, you know, having a path now straight to the first team with, with this contract is, it's a really cool thing. I mean, it was great when Toronto FC came into town in February and, you know, he got himself a goal. I mean, you know, he's already scored his first goal for LAFC and didn't even have his LAFC contract yet. So now he's got the contract to go with the goal and I'm, I'm stoked to see what this kid can bring. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, it's interesting. So like, you know, and Gabriel plays for LAFC SoCal youth. Right. And, and so, you know, talking to the directors and, and having them, you know, talk to the parents and saying, Hey, you know, there, there are pathways in place for the LAFC SoCal youth players. If they show the potential and the aptitude that there is a pathway to getting them a trial with the Academy and things like that. It's, it's one of those things where you, you look and players, these young kids can have somebody to say, hey, and I, they can identify and say, hey, that could be me if I put in the effort. Really cool stuff to see from the club. Um, well, that about wraps us up for the first segment of the show. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with none other than Blake Bletchner. Folks, we'll catch you on the other side. Yeah, what's up, a miniature boy here once again, the Hood Foodie. And today you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. So make sure you guys come out, support. But tell them that the hood we sent you. Joining us now is this week's guest, returning once again, the prodigal son, back to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Folks, it's Central Show. We got LAFC Blake in the house. You know him as Blake Bletchner. You can find him at LAFC Central Show, at Blake Bletchner. You can find him at ACFC Blake for all his work for Angel City. And check out the cool work he's doing at BlakeBletchner.com to check out his up-and-coming portfolio. Blake! Welcome back to the show, my friend. Phenomenal intro. That was amazing. That's uh, Jonathan's highlight reel, man. That's, uh, you know, that's what he's known for. Other than the radio voice, it's it's the intros and the articulation of the words, right? Oh, that voice was great. Hey, it, it got me a job, right? I'll take it. Yeah. So for those of us that don't know, Blake was one of the very first guests that we had come on our show. I believe it was episode five back in 2019. And this was Christian and I's 
one of our very, very first ones, we, you know, cause we had Tyler Miller and then we had LAO and, and then it was Blake, right. I and mean, it was actually Blake and his dad and Jonathan wasn't part of the show at this point in time, but it was, it was a good show because at that time, Blake, you were definitely one of the premier social media accounts that highlighted LAFC and you had had a, a very big following and then Instagram just totally locked your account and you had to kind of start yeah. all over, which I think, are you still fighting that good fight of trying to get it back? I think I've reached the point where it's, there's not much you can do about it anymore. I think it hit like 8,000 followers, which was phenomenal having built that up. But it does seem to be, you know, rebounding the show. You can still rebuild something after it drops off. I think I'm up to 1,500 right now, which is amazing for, you know, how little it started with, you know, basically zero after that was like right right when COVID hit literally I think it was like March 4th like the week of like March 14th that happened and so it was like right when COVID hit, people were building in that COVID content and I'm like great I don't have a platform anymore so on, on Instagram at least so I tried to build that up and I've been building that back up plus through that I decided to also focus on Twitter so I could like spread out and be able to in case this happens again, because it did end up happening again. Um, I also have this Twitter platform I can go off of. And it was definitely an interesting experience to, it was, it was a real, real shock, I'll say. For those of you that that would be interested to to do a side-by-side comparison, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode five and you can see the- the, the same person, just because my voice has gotten deeper. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, you can hear the origin stories and see how Blake it is got involved and things like that. But, you know, here we are, we're looking to highlight- because you've taken on more of a role in the community, you know, you are expanding outside of just the LAFC viewpoint. You have now expanded over to now ACFC, which is going to have their first game at at the bank this uh, upcoming Friday. And of course, you're also looking to expand just your overall portfolio and showing people that you're more than just a content producer for a professional soccer team here in Los Angeles. So uh, why don't you go ahead and just kind of give our listeners a little bit of a highlight of on a superficial level of, of what you're involved in and what your hands are in, and then we'll dive into a deeper thing one at a time. Yeah. So first off, there's still LAFC Central. I've been really working on the graphics I've been making, basically all the graphics there are stuff that I've made that I've I've really worked on growing those graphics. And then plus I did, I did some work back in 2021 shooting for the Ontario Fury, which was an amazing experience, something completely different as well. Plus, um, I don't cover Angel City, but I do go support and try to really become, you know, part of as something, you know, more involved in different Los Angeles soccer. So I'm a member of Rebellion 99 and one of our leaders during matches and occasionally capo sections during games. Then as well with the U.S. national teams, Bar 76. And then, you know, just trying to grow the portfolio to have this become more of a career path instead of just look, this kid had a thing that was covering LAFC for a few years back when he was, you know, in middle school and high school to become, you know, something that I can expand into a job, hopefully one day working for a professional team doing social media stuff. Which is still shocking, right? For those of us that don't know, this person that provides a lot of your LAFC content is barely in 10th grade. And when we interviewed you, I think you might've been in like seventh or eighth grade. And I think you know, 2019 back in, I think it was seventh. Yeah, it was seventh grade. I mean, which is an amazing accomplishment, you know, and to, it just goes to show you that if you're passionate about something, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. And as long as you put out content, you're still consistent, you know, that's what matters. And it, you know, I, I mean, we, you and I have talked several times, whether it was on away days, which 
I think one of the more ones that stands out in my head is seeing you at the Austin match the first time during 2020 with your mom and your brother. And I mean, and, and, you know, your away day travels, right? Like you, you have some great, great experiences because you do, you do live up and take on the away day experiences, which is an amazing opportunity. But when you look at, you know, everything that goes on, it it shows that your craft has been getting so much better. And I'll talk to you. I will call you. And I'm like, Blake, I'm looking to try and do this, man. Like, how do you, how do you do this graphic or how do you do this? Because I am, I'm the primary person that does the, the shoulder to shoulder podcast, Instagram, and I'm always trying to do better. And so, you know, when I see people in the community that do well, it's like, Hey man, show me what you do. Show me how well you do. And your graphics have gotten so much better over these last couple of years. And it's, it's just amazing to see it continue to grow. Yeah. It's, it's been very fun to be able to experiment. Cause that's another thing. If anyone here is listening, interested in starting one of these things, there's an, you know, an aspect of professionalism to it, but there's also this part of experimentation, you know, like this year I've I switched up my graphic template two times because I saw I can do this better. I found this new way of doing it. I'm really playing with gradients right now. So I switched up from this uh, Los Angeles style with this uh, little texture compared to now a gradient setup that kind of goes back and forth between different colors and, you know, just being able to switch it up and being able to experiment throughout the year. And there's so many ways to grow from that. Plus, I mean, the LAFC community has so many talented people and I am always referencing the work of, you know, people at the club with AC and Jeff or people through different SGs or other pages that make great stuff or, you know, even throughout the MLS or other places, there's so many places for inspiration and stuff that you can see and say, I want to take, you know, I want to not necessarily take, but I want to, I see that they're doing this, this way. I would like to do something similar to that because I think it looks good. And I think that's, the best way to grow it and that's something that i've done a lot and the first time i remember it's like a year ago someone asked me about the graphics that i was doing and like the font i was using the style was using it's like this is what i've been doing to other people for the past couple years and that was a really special moment to finally see like i've hit this necessarily talent but this ability where people are you know enjoying the work that i do and wanting to be inspired by it which is what i definitely aim to do a lot there are very few people in this business who can say that they've covered a team for five seasons you've covered a team for five seasons and still correct me don't even have a driver's license yet am i wrong i have a permit and i can get my license in june and oh I'm a phenomenal God. driver. If I do, Lord, so. Lord, help us in the parking lot come June. But hey, I uh, drove to I drove to a San Diego away day, and I did an all right job. I think I don't know if my mom was shouting me a bit during it, where I was either going too slow or too fast, too close to the in the carpool lane. But I think I'm getting better at it. Yeah, we'll get there one. You day. know what? You know, just give your mom the test, man. After June, right? You're like, hey, mom, San Jose away days. I got this. I'll see you. I'll see you later. Yep. Uh, That'll be a fun experience for sure. The the first time I ever drove in a car by myself, I got on the freeway in Oakland and got off the freeway in South Orange County and did that whole eight hour drive. Wow. And that was that was just just bite it off the first time I ever drove by myself. So yeah, believe me, just a couple long road trips and, and you'll figure it all out. But yeah. to the point at hand, you know, five seasons ago when you started covering this team, it, it was a bit of a novelty. You know, look at this young man who's out there doing this at such an incredibly young age. And as you grow older, describe for our listeners the challenge of 
defeating that stigma of being the young guy covering the team and establishing the legitimate place you have within the entertainment side of LAFC now. I mean, because that's obviously been a lot of hard work to get to where you're at. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's still, you know, I hear the jokes. Oh, what are you, 12 or 15 now? What the heck happened? Yeah, people joking about you not having a license. That's just rude. Oh, yeah, no, it happens all the time. I think it's hilarious. But I think it's really weird, like going into the whole COVID lockdown and coming out, people, it's like, oh, you're a lot taller now. You have a very much deeper voice now or whatever it was. And I think there has been this, I guess, maybe an earned respect that's happened throughout uh, the years of me kind of transitioning from um, like, I guess in 2019, I wasn't really doing much of my own stuff. So it was more like reposting the club's graphics and then writing something about it to now taking my own pictures occasionally when I can. Um, doing my own graphics and still writing my own things. I think people really started to see that I'm doing all of this stuff compared to, you know, because there are a ton of people out there who want to start these pages and just are reposting club things, which is a great way to start. That's, you know, how I started for, say, probably a year, or maybe a bit more. But then, you know, some just stop, some keep doing that. And it's, and there are plenty who move into their own aspect of becoming their own identity to go next to the club and I've really transitioned to doing that and I think people have really seen that and seen the professionalism in it and that's been something I've just really earned and really do appreciate to hear like people talk about you know going from oh look the kids you know oh look you're you know you're young doing all this stuff to you're doing all this stuff let me ask you a quick question because I have been wondering this for some time the watermark that you use what is that symbol and how did you come up with it? Yeah, so I'm going to pull it up just to make sure I remember it. Because that was, I think, if I remember correctly, um, AC actually made that for me back in 2019. It's Alex Cervantes. He does work for LAFC and plenty of others. His ad is AC in HO. Correct me if that's wrong. But he made that for me. And that is actually Ollie. Um, a photo of Ollie cut out in black and white with the central texture going alongside of it. I had tried to make a logo for myself. It did not work because I still haven't figured out how to use Illustrator back then. I still have not figured it out now, but he really helped me with that. And then I've kind of just stuck with it because I really like the look of it and kind of what it embodies about the club where you see it, you sort of recognize LAFC with the colors and the bird. And it's, you know, it's not directly like LAFC's logo with, you know, central or like I had it before where I'd made a little central, but the A was the LAFC logo. Now it's this, this is, you know, this bird, this central thing. That's what, that's Blake's thing. Well, you know, I'm actually referring to the all white watermark that that one as well. Yeah. The that yeah that you put in the corner yeah. of, of of your graphics. I was you know because obviously the the picture that he's describing is his main profile picture. Yeah, uh, where you see Ollie with the central. But I'm I'm more referring to the uh, abstract white yeah. watermark that you have in the corner of your. Yeah. Uh, I guess I've, I've never actually explained that. I just took it that people knew what that was without really thinking it. That is an outline of the bank, uh, filled out in white oh. uh, from the seating chart. I probably should have explained that. Um, but yeah, that's an outline of the bank that I've been using this year, which I think it looks really clean. And it's, it's from the seating chart. I think it's from Ticketmaster, one of those apps. And I took it because I was trying to like make a little design with it. And I put it in white. I put it next to some other ones. And I thought it looked great. So I ran with it. I totally see it now. Now, the mystery, very cool. the mystery now, now has you know. been solved. Exactly. <laughs> Dang, I could have just let that run all year. I mean, you I, know, you, yeah. you still could, you know. Yeah. Um, 
I could be lying. Who knows? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So in the past four seasons, obviously you've had a lot of experiences around the black and gold community between the last time you were on the show, episode five, and now here we are, episode 116. Yeah. Uh, describe some of your favorite experiences over the course of the past three, four seasons. And maybe it's an away day. Maybe it's a moment at the bank. Maybe it's a community event. What are some of the moments that are really going to stick with you from these past couple seasons? I guess I can name one from every year because that might be the best way for me to remember it. Um, 2019, I definitely have to say, was uh, the Portland away trip because that was not only the first time I had gotten a media credential during an MLS match. So I was credentialed for that game through the great people at LAFC and their PR department. They had helped really helped me out get that credential. And that was a super cool experience to be able to cover that game. I think we had like 750 plus people travel to that game. And I got to, although I wasn't that good of a photographer, I've really improved. I did get to take some photos with my camera and then just get to video it and really get that credentialed media member experience which is completely different than being a supporter. And one of my favorite moments, or at least one of the coolest and most transitioning moments where it went from like a fan page to, wow, I'm a credentialed media member now. And if I remember correctly, I think I was told that that was the youngest person to get an MLS credential. I don't know if that's still a fact or not, but at the time it wasn't. I thought that was very cool. 2020, I'd say I got two from 2020. Um, One's got to be Leon away. That was just an amazing away trip, um, unforgettable walking through the streets of Leon. They marched us around in circles, trying to tire us out and give us water for the first half. Got into the stadium, which was such a cool experience because the sport in the U.S. is at least here. It's so modern where you don't really get that. You know, it was an older stadium, which I thought was so cool to get to be. I'm, I'm a stadium lover, if you didn't know. And just to, to see that, plus to be able to be that away force in Mexico, um, having that security escort and getting to see, you know, before the game, everyone's like, oh, it's the MLS team here again. And then after the game, I think there was a real respect earned, which was really cool to experience. I guess the second experience from 2020 would be during COVID um, up with a few LAFC people watching K-League games. That was a very fun experience because I discovered the K-League. That was awesome. I'm now a full-fledged Seongnam FC fan. And that was, you know, really showing how the community can come together during times where you can't see anyone to come and experience and, you know, be together and experience these little special moments during that really tough time. Then say for 2021, it's got to be, I believe it was against, was it against Houston, June 19th, the first game full capacity, just getting to walk into that and go, wow, we haven't had this for, I think it was a year and a half this is amazing. And this year, I don't think I found my moment yet from this year. We'll have to see at the end of the year. Galaxy Away was special this year. A few of the home games, but we'll have to see at the end of the year once everything's done settled and we've won the MLS Cup. What's the I'm just kidding. Well, you know, when we bring you back on for the 3.0 update, you can yeah. uh, tell us what your 2022 was. Yeah. So in looking to continue to grow, right, you've also looked to grow your support for other Los Angeles teams, right? Barra 76 here with Mauricio and Fern, and you're building that out. Talk to us a little bit about your role there and why you chose to look for other responsibilities within that supporter group, as opposed to following a similar light to what you do with LAFC. Yeah. I mean, covering a team is one thing. And through that, I've been introduced to this supporter culture, which I had never known before. And that's something that I really wanted to experience because with LAFC, 
I have experience of gotten North End for games, but at the same time, I am covering the team. And there is a difference between being a supporter and someone covering the team. And I'm well aware of that. And with um, supporting the U.S., I wanted to just be a supporter, just to experience how special that is and to get to build something because Barra is brand new. You know, our first game was, I think, April of 2019. And, you know, we're brand new, really growing right now. And just to get to build something from the ground up and also get to support the U.S. men's national team, the women national team and you know, something really special with a ton of amazing and special people who I've gotten to, who I already knew before. I've gotten to meet through it and getting to travel to go support. Like I was this year, I, we, my family did uh, the Nashville trip against Canada, went to Austin for the USA Jamaica game. And um, we went to Cincinnati for the USA Mexico game, which was phenomenal. Another Dos Acero bucket list checked off. And then we also went to Mexico for that away match and not only getting to experience the game but also getting to experience it with a supporters group there's there's nothing like it and i encourage everyone to join your local groups whether it's at the national level or the local level because there's there's nothing like it it's amazing you have those tickets to guitar yet i'm gonna save up for 2026 i think that's that's my plan because it's looking at guitar it's and we i want to I want to travel around the country in 2026. Maybe we'll rent a van or something, go drive around for all the games. Because 2026 is going to be something special because I think building up to it, MLS is going to be really, is going to really be growing. NWSL is going to really be growing. The sport in general, I mean, USL, um, NISA, all the smaller leagues we've um, have had grow. Um, hopefully we'll have promotion relocation one day. But I think that uh, 2026 uh, World Cup is just going to skyrocket everything and really, really change the sport of the country. That's going to be something really special to witness compared to going to Qatar and seeing, you know, all the new stadiums and whatever Qatar is building with the little scandalous FIFA money. Not totally sure how they got the tournament, but that's not mine to say. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, 2026 is going to be really special. Well, you got, In, look, four years to practice those driving skills for that road exactly, trip. So we're, exactly. we're all ready to I'm go. Our, I'm our designated driver. Yeah, you're still <laughs> not going to be able to have a beer in 2026. I, I, I oh. so, yeah. Oh, one of these days. I'm, I hope I'm still alive to buy you your first beer. That's that's all I'm hoping. Um, all, with, all I know is that we have to provide the lemonade at the exactly. Uh, at the, yeah, lemonade. Me. Lemonade is the goal. Stop offering me beer at games. I'm 15. Give me lemonade if you really want to. <laughs> what are your thoughts on USA's chances coming up in Qatar? Do you think they're going to make it out of the group? How did you feel about the group draw? And what are your expectations for the team? Do you want my biased perspective or am I trying to be as non-biased perspective as possible? <laughs> I want to hear the real Blake. Give me the real Blake. Blake. We're going to beat England 5 nothing. We're going to beat every other country 10 nothing. We're going to win the World Cup. No. Um, All right, now back on Earth. <laughs> I think... I'm really happy with the draw. I think it's a really good group. It's and I don't get what people are saying about it being an easy group. I don't think any group is an easy group. I mean, England's going to be a really fun game because we kind of have this thing where we beat England right by or after Thanksgiving, kind of like a recurring thing in U.S. history. We'll do it again. And then um, Iran's going to be a really fun game. We've had, I mean, they've, they have a, a solid national team. And then depending on who we play, either, you know, Wales, Scotland or Ukraine, that's going to be a fun game as well because all those teams are really talented and have something to really fight for. I do see us getting out of the group. I think I'm guessing it's going to be U.S. or England, U.S. and England getting out. But in my dream scenario, it's the U.S. and not England, just for the fun of it, because soccer is coming home, everyone. Absolutely. Wow. And we have we have to be prepared. Right. Uh, I think that like you're like 
you had mentioned that when the World Cup comes to North America in 2026, it is it's going to be something to see. But we need to have a strong performance in yeah. this World Cup. It's not enough that we just made it, right? Like Especially we never should after the disaster of 2018, right. coming back from that. I mean, how well I thought we did, at least recalling it from my very young um, brain watching 2014 or going back and watching some of the games. I thought we did very well in 2014, making out of the group stage um, and almost beating Belgium, basically. And then that to 2018, coming back to uh, Qatar in 2022, I think the need to make a statement ahead of hosting the game as well is going to be something very necessary and something I hope we do. Are you concerned about injuries to the U.S. men's national team right now? Yeah, very concerned. It's every day I get a I get a text that says, "Oh, this player is out for a few weeks." Or watching Football Americas, they just got to have a whole segment nowadays with every player that's gone down injured. So I'm rather concerned, but it seems like we're building up depth ish a little, at least in some positions, but others are rather concerning. Do you think there's a global conspiracy or more like a localized conspiracy within England to not play the U.S. internationals in the Premier League because Definitely. they're in the same group as England? I, I think Jesse Marsh is going to get fired if we beat them and Christian Pulisic is going to get shipped off to a team in the championship on purpose um, before the game just to hurt us. It's a conspiracy, everyone. You heard it here first. Well, and, and for those of you that don't know, Blake's allegiance lies with Lee or no, uh, you're at Leicester City, right? Leicester, yes. Yes. So, yeah, Leicester City, that's where his allegiance lies in the EPL. It's you and Chris El Balador. Those are like the only two Leicester yep. City fans that I know. We party um, it up every time we win. Absolutely. So and, and you know, we can't we can't not have you on without you talking about your latest endeavor. And that is with ACFC. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about leading up to the match this upcoming Friday, some of the things that you have been doing, your new, your role that you take with this, with uh, the rebellion 99 and what you hope to get out of this upcoming Friday. Yeah. I think this Friday is going to be really special, no matter the result on the field, although a win would be phenomenal to start this off. But I really think, I don't you know how much PR talks about this, or whatever, but I really do think that this is going to be a really big changing point for women's soccer and soccer in the in Los Angeles with how hyped this team is, how many tickets they've sold and are going to sell for games. Um, with Rebellion on Nine, I've been involved since the bringing WSL to LA days with Mark and Lindsay bringing their sign to games and supporting that. And then when we when we finally got the team, I think it was july of 2020 everyone just lost their mind over zoom of course but still we're losing our minds and then just seeing get you know again getting to build something from the ground up um and getting to just see this grow into what it's become and what it's going to become what the you know the preseason games have been great we've been getting solid attendance out in fullerton and a good atmosphere that's definitely going to grow when we hit the bank when there's this um you know we're gonna you're gonna have an actual supporter section compared to me standing on rails trying to get up high enough so everyone can see me down below trying to lead chance compared to now we actually have a capo stand in a supporter section with safe standing i think it's going to be amazing and hopefully bring this not only new level but new era of women's soccer in the u.s so you said that this could be a turning point for soccer in southern california in the united states so fast forward the clock and Tell our listeners, what does that look like? What is the effect that you're hoping NWSL has? And, and what are kind of some of the milestones that you're looking for along the way if that success is manifesting itself? 
Yeah, I think if Fall Order goes according to the plan in my head, which I really I do think will happen um, with Angel City growing, I think the NWSL is going to keep expanding. I mean, through the NWSL to LA movement, other movements have been starting. I know there's one trying to bring a team to Austin, to Atlanta, to Vancouver, just name a few off, off the top of my head. I think the NWSL is going to really keep expanding. And I hope by just say 2030, we can get, I mean, currently there are 12 teams, not totally sure how many they can add, but I really want to see the league continue to expand, to grow to not just this small niche league where like, if you know the NWSL, then you know it. If you don't, you're not aware of it at all to this thing where it becomes a natural, you know, natural thing in the U.S. where not only do I hope soccer grows, where MLS is one of the top four leagues, but one like if you watch MLS, you watch NWSL or vice versa, where it's both this entertaining and great level of soccer that they're both growing to become, um, that both both fan sets can watch and enjoy and watch as the leagues expand, and then hopefully far in the future, as I hope we get promotion relegation. For all leagues, I mean, the USL is is uh, launching their W League this year, or yeah, this year I believe. Um, hopefully, there's some type of format. I hear I hear an Open Cup is going to be started between the two in the coming years, which I'm very excited for because I love the Open Cup, and I just think um, getting it on the same level as um, the men's game in the US is going to happen with the growth of it and how much youth are getting involved with the game on both sides. It's going to become this massive thing where you know as i mentioned you watch both leagues all the time and people go support one team on saturday and one team on sunday or vice you know vice versa or whatever and get to see soccer really grow in the country well speaking of niche leagues you that have a diehard supporter but desperately need to grow you got a chance to to come on out and view some masl games this season so uh and tired of me preaching about it on this show. Why don't you talk a little bit about your experience at Toyota Arena and, and with the MASL? Yeah, the MASL is really fun, I will say. Um, as someone who watches a lot of soccer and plenty of hockey as well for that um, mention, it's like a nice combination of those two. It's really fast-paced, fast-paced action that is really enjoyable. Lots of goals, um, lots of, you know, different. It's, lots, it's a really fast game. So it's going back and forth. Lots of shots are being taken. Getting able to watch it was a very cool experience. Not only watch it, but get to shoot. I shot, I think, two or three regular season games, plus both of the uh, uh, finals with the Ron Newman Cup finals, if I remember correctly. Um, I got to shoot I got to shoot all those games, um, and that was something really special. Because with these smaller leagues, especially the, the amount of access you get, like I was shooting for the league, so I got to go on the field and kind of get that uh, during – breaks and that was something I'd never gotten um, and then seeing the atmosphere you know it's growing both teams have a say it's a smaller base but it's definitely growing and that's how everything starts out of course and the league is rather entertaining it's easy to watch was it on YouTube I think if I remember correctly it's on Twitch now oh, Twitch actually now, really? um, so they that's switched exciting. midway through this season to yeah. Twitch the finals start Monday, so if anyone's interested in watching the San Diego Soccer's Ooh. last year's winner and perennial powerhouse team, uh, the team that Jerry Jimenez works for, the Podfather, uh, yeah. he does their official podcast and works on the, the production side things as well, too. Uh, they're going to be playing the Florida Tropics. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not the one from the Will Ferrell movie, not the basketball team. This is uh, from Lakeland, Florida, the MASL team. That starts on Twitch at 7 p.m. on Monday. Um, 
So I think I actually wait. I think that's 6 p.m. Pacific time. I don't know. It's in a weird time zone, but um, uh, that's going to be kicking off Monday. Um, I think Philly and I, and along with a bunch of players and announcers from the league, are going to be hosting a watch party to go along with it on Twitch as well, too. So, awesome. Blake, you'll have to uh, roll by Casa de Philly, uh, Philly Monster Studios, or I believe recently renamed Schmitty McMitten Studios. Excuse me. Rest in peace, Schmitty. Um, that uh, you're going to have to come on by. You can cover some yeah. MASL action. We're going to have a I'd bunch of players and coaches I'm, and stuff on. Yeah, I'm going to try to watch. I caught, I caught a few games over this year listening to y'all commentating. You guys are doing a great job. And I think it's going to be – it's really – yeah, you're doing hey, – hey, I hey. – I think you guys are doing great. And I think it's greatly beneficial for the growth of the league. I've, jo- I've joined a few Facebook groups and the people seem to sometimes think otherwise, but I think you guys are doing great. Oh, you know, I mean, look, anytime <laughs> you put yourself out there like that in the sporting world, there's instantly going to be 20% of people out there that are just going to hate on you. That's how um, it is. It's really funny. Philly and I take an approach to this. Every time someone talks smack on us online, we literally find that person and message them like, Hey, you know, like, what can we do? And like try and start a friendship with that person and then meet them at That's a game funny. sometime. And it's funny how all those people uh, eventually become your biggest fans after you kind of tear down the curtain of, you know, look, it's not about teams that hate each other. It's about fans supporting a league. And then all of a yeah. sudden everybody's sunshine and rainbows, but, especially uh, at a smaller scale, there's gotta be uh, you know, and even now I'm a massive AFC fan, but I'm also a massive MLS fan. And I think especially in the MASL, you gotta be, not only supporting your team, but also supporting the league, because that's the only way it's really going to grow. Absolutely. Well, you know, we really appreciate you coming back on. It definitely has been awesome to see you continue to grow and contribute to this community. And, uh, you know, before we go, we thought that we would give you an opportunity to answer the question. You know, it's the question that we ask all people at the end of every show, and you already gave it once, but you might want to reconsider and give it a second look. Uh, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, Blake? What does shoulder to shoulder mean to me? I think shoulder to shoulder means this podcast and every other LAFC podcast and every other LAFC content creator and everyone that shows up to the games and everyone that goes week in, week out supporting the team, whether it's, you know, in 3052 painting banners, um, bring out the amazing uh, TIFOs they've done throughout the years, or, you know, everyone who's not in the supporter section is still in the stands and join the game committing to that atmosphere and coming to growing the game in Los Angeles. So I think throughout the years, I've begun to realize that this is so much about the club, but also about the game and about the city and how much it's helped that grow. And we've seen that through, you know, the Academy or community events they've done or other people have done how much of an impact it's beginning to really have. And we're really being able beginning to see that after five years. And I think, yeah, shoulder to shoulder means everyone coming together for one good cause while also supporting their club. I love it, folks. Once again, our guest has been Blake. You know him. We don't need to introduce him to you. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When I grow up, I want to be like you, brother. <laughs> we really appreciate you coming on the show. Please give Central Show a follow. You can follow them at LAFC Central Show. You can follow Blake at Blake Blechner. That's B-L-E-C-H-N-E-R. To follow his Angel City work, it's at ACFC Blake. And you can head to his website, blakeletchner.com, and check it out there as well, too. We sincerely appreciate you coming on the show once again. Thank you so much for checking back with us, homie. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Yeah, we'll have to uh, see you again at some away days, man. We'll uh, we'll have to plan them. All right, man. 
Well, hey, we'll see you at the bank, dude. And with that, we're going to be taking a short break and uh, we'll see you in a little bit. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Alexis Guerreros. I'm the fat guy on the Cooligans. You're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Joining us is our opponent correspondent this week to represent the fighting Tyler Millers, Minnesota United in the house. We have Jonathan Harrison, who joins us as the radio host and producer for Minnesota United's radio broadcast. Jonathan, love the name. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. You know, we uh, look forward to the match this upcoming weekend. I feel like uh, the teams are definitely playing well, so hopefully it'll be a good match. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Unfortunately, it's kind of late at night. It'll be broadcast late at night here in, in Minneapolis. But yeah, it's going to be a fun one. I can't wait for it. I'm always a little nervous for LAFC games, but it should be a fun one. So before we dive into this particular matchup in your squad, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, plug your outlet. You know, we used to work for ESPN, now work for Minnesota United. Tell the fans a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm the host and producer for Minnesota United Radio Broadcasts. I've been the host for the past four seasons, the producer for the past six seasons. Our games are broadcast on Score North, the radio affiliate of ESPN here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. It's uh, yeah, I just it's been fun being a part of the broadcast. Been super, I was super pumped once the radio station got the rights, and I've been a part of the broadcast since day one. Killer, there you go. You got that radio voice. I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> so, um, why don't you give us a little bit for our fans, uh, kind of about the state of the union for your club? You guys started out abysmally, four straight losses right out the gate, um, but on a, you're on a good streak right now. Three games in a row, two in MLS, one of course in the USOC. Um, you guys are currently sitting a plus five goal differential one, one and one on the road. So it looks like things are turning a little brighter. Yeah, they, it started off a little shaky. The defense was there, but the offense just for some reason it wasn't firing, but the past couple games, essentially the past week with the U S open cup game as well, the attack has shown up. The defense has remained the same as it has been, but yeah, the attack having Emmanuel Reynoso back to his true form, it's really kicked things in because it felt like after the losses to Seattle and Austin. It felt like things were kind of swirling down the drain, even though it was still early in the season. But once they got the 3-1 win against Colorado, they got the 2-0 win over Ford Madison with a completely changed squad um, with your old friend Tyler Miller in net there. And then uh, the 3-0 win against Chicago, a team that had only let in two goals prior to that all season. Uh, it just felt like it's felt like things have completely changed for this season. I know it's still super early, but uh, with the way things were feeling over the past couple of weeks, it was like, oh, man, this is going to be a rough season. But Emmanuel Reynoso kicked it back into form, and all of a sudden, this team looks pretty dang good again. Speaking of Tyler Miller, we do see that there is a bit back and forth between the starting keeper. Uh, so can you talk about the goaltending situation right now between Tyler Miller and Dane Sinclair? Yeah, it's one that we've been talking about for the better part of the last season and a half now. Dane St. Clair came on for Tyler Miller in 2020 when Miller had to go out for the rest of the season due to uh, hip surgery that he needed to do after the MLS's back tournament. And he played extremely well over the final stretch of the season and in the playoffs and helped the team get to the Western Conference Finals. Unfortunately, they lost in the last 13 minutes to Seattle. Uh, but then the second, but then last year happened, four straight losses right out the gate with Dane St. Clair and that they made the switch. All those four games really weren't Dane St. Clair's fault. But as soon as Tyler Miller came in, the defense immediately shifted into being just a shot stopper at all at all shots. And Tyler Miller held the job for the rest of the season. And then this year, 
Tyler Miller starts right out the gate, but then has to miss a match because of COVID. And Dane St. Clair played played out of his mind against New York Red Bulls. Stopped nine shots, uh, stopped a penalty in the first 12 minutes, and has been playing out of his mind ever since and has really solidified himself as the number one keeper for this team. And it's something they, that they've seen in Dane St. Clair since they drafted him uh, a, a couple years ago. And they've wanted to slow, slow burn him because he's so young still. And Tyler Miller getting him seemed like a really good trade. And I was really excited. I, to be honest, I didn't know why you guys traded him in the first place, but he's been really good for us. But now that Dane St. Clair has really come on, it's, it's the question that we've had for the past two years is you can't really have two number one keepers. And with some teams out there looking for a number one keeper, when are they going to make the trade? When's the trade going to happen? I would imagine now that Dane St. Clair has really seemed like he's going to be the guy going forward. Tyler Miller seems like he's going to be traded here any day now. I don't have any inf inside information on that. It just with Atlanta looking for a keeper, New England presumably looking for a keeper once Matt Turner heads off to Arsenal. There's two teams right there that are in the top of the Eastern Conference or should be that will be looking for a number one keeper. Minnesota has two of them. Yeah, it seems fairly logical from everyone on the outside that one of those guys is going to go and yeah. probably for a healthy amount of allocation money, both pretty good keepers. So things are looking up in that perspective. And it's not as though the team has been, you know, shy to splash the money around and bring in some acquisitions. Uh, so catch our fans up on the changes to last season's roster. Uh, we have additions in Kevin Arriaga, Luis Amaria, Osvaldo Alonso. And then you've got two really premier players that have just recently joined the squad, Nadrian Hunoa uh, and then Franco Fragapane. So kind of catch the fans up that might not be watching y'all week in and week out on exactly what's new around. Yeah, Kervin Ariaga, he's a tall box-to-box -box midfielder. He was he was brought in because uh, they scouted him from the Honduran national team, and he's been really good. Like, he's been absolutely impressive. He's been a game changer in the midfield when the club lost to Ozzy Alonso in the offseason they wanted him back but he wanted to go play for Gonzalo Pineda down in Atlanta a former teammate and now the head coach down there in Atlanta so the idea was that Asani Dotson was going to finally break through become the full-time starter in that role that they've imagined for him since they drafted him and unfortunately uh, for him Kervin Ariaga really impressed right out the gates, got the starting role. And then Sonny Dotson, unfortunately, gets the ACL injury this week. So he's out for the season. But Kervin Ariaga has absolutely impressed alongside Will Trapp in the midfield, uh, essentially continuing on a weird legacy that this club has had over the past couple of seasons of having a really good midfield pairing. They had Jan Gregish and Ozzy Alonso uh, in 2019. That stayed for 2020 as well. Uh, Will Trapp and Ozzy Alonso formed a really good pair last season, and now it's Will Trapp and Kervin Ariaga just picks up right where Will Trapp and Ozzy Alonso left off last season. So Kervin Ariaga is the guy that we've loved to watch uh, game in and game out. As I said, tall guy, 6'4", can rise up, got his first goal this last week in Chicago. Uh, completely, He'll just completely cover the field. He'll be everywhere. You just look at his heat map, and it, it's basically the entire field. Luis Amaria, he returns to the squad after – uh, being away last year, they couldn't come to an agreement after the 2020 season. So he went off on loan to Ecuador um, and then he scored nine goals down there, but he's back. He scored a, he scored two goals in his first two games in 2020, got injured at MLS's back. So didn't really finish the season. Um, but yeah, he's back now still looking for him to get back into form here. He scored two goals this season, but hasn't really been completely goal dangerous. Most that's probably leaning towards the fact that Manny Reynoso didn't really play that well out the gate. 
hopefully now that Emmanuel Reynoso is back in form, uh, Luis Maria can get things back going. Uh, other guys that we acquired, Kamara Lawrence, longtime left back, uh, just traded for him from LA, or from Toronto FC, excuse me. Um, he should pair up well in the backfield or in the in the defense with uh, Bakay Debasi, Michael Boxel, and Romain Metzner whenever he gets back from injury. And then, yeah, you mentioned Adrian Anu. It's weird that this team has two uh, designated player strikers. It's just, it, I don't understand why they would do that, but they brought in Unu last year as a, as a designated player because they couldn't get Luis Maria back. He didn't really hit form right away. His underlying numbers showed that he was getting in the right areas. He had, he had a good XG, but he just wasn't striking in the goals that you would want from a designated player. So they brought Luis Maria back on a designated player contract. So now you have two number nines who are designated players. And it seems like at some point something's going to have to change. They played Unu in the Open Cup game as a number 10, which is something that we've seen that he could possibly do instead of the number nine. And it worked well for him. He scored a goal against Ford Madison and played really well in that game. So that could be something if you want to move Emmanuel Reynoso out to one of the wings for a game or two, you bring in Unu as the number 10 and have Luis Amaria there. So you'd have your three designated players on the field for the first time in a couple of years because Adrian Gregish as a designated player on the bench all last season. Um, but yeah, the other another signing that they had in the offseason was uh, South African winger Bangukle Flanwane, incredibly pacey guy, 21-year-old kid that they got from South Africa. Super raw. So he's he's not going to be an everyday starter, but he's he's got super sub minutes in him and he's a game changer off the bench. He's got pace to burn and his work rate's just second to none. All-time record, LAFC has played Minnesota United six times. LAFC has one win, two losses, and three ties. These matches have always been played close, barring the one match in Minnesota where Minnesota won 5-1, to one, but they've all been hard fought. How do you and how does the fan base view these matches against LAFC? For me, I have honestly have no idea how to view these matches. They're so weird because it always seems like Minnesota go into these matches uh, missing a guy, either through suspension or injury, missing a guy or two, and this game's going to be no different. Will Trapp's out for yellow card accumulation. So that'll be a hole in the midfield they'll have to fill. And I'm questioning how they're going to do that. But yeah, it's just looking back at some of these games against LAFC. And I have no idea how they've gotten some of the results they have considering the lineups they've put out. Adrian, he seems to like to favor a 5-3-2 against LAFC. And it's worked for some reason uh, pretty well getting results in Looking back at the, the game, I believe in 2020, where um, Mason Toy scores two goals just in four minutes off complete counterattacks, it's, it's, that's essentially sums up how these games have gone against LAFC, that it's just sitting back, uh, absorbing a ton of pressure, absorbing the attacking talent that LAFC has, and just hoping to break on, some, break on, on a, a counterattack and get a goal, and they've somehow managed to do it time and time again. You look back to the game, at Bank of California Stadium last year, Young Gregish just kind of kicks a ball up in the 94th minute. Hassani Dotson chests it down and is able to just strike it past uh, the goalkeeper for a last-second equalizing goal that probably, you look at the rest of the game, shouldn't have happened. That game should have been LAFC's, but just out of nowhere, Young Gregish, a guy who doesn't play or didn't play a whole lot of minutes last year, gets his one good touch of the season and gets it up to Hassani Dotson on a really well-placed, like, four yard cross yeah so it's it's really hard I don't know how to describe these games because it just seems like LAFC brings out the best of whatever players come up against LAFC that Minnesota has at the time 
Yeah, thank you for reminding us all of that tragic <laughs> moment. Uh, who witnessed it I, personally? It I don't know how it happens. It just seems like that's the way it happens every time we play you guys. So, you know, speaking of the current run of form for you guys and the turnaround that we've seen throughout the early stages of this yeah. season, you guys went into Chicago and whooped them 3 0. Yeah. Chicago has only given up two goals on the season. So you've now up to fifth place in the West. Things are sunshine and rainbows again for y'all. So I'm curious, what do you think has been the biggest turnaround in this current run of form? And what was the key to success versus a Chicago team that has been defensive stalwarts this season? And what's going to be the carryover to this upcoming match versus LAFC? The key to success over the past couple of games has really been Emmanuel Reynoso getting back into the form that everybody in this league knows he can be. He's one of the best number 10s in the league. And he really showed it over the past two games. They came out this last week that he got married in the offseason. He finally was able over the last couple of weeks, over the last week, essentially, to get his family into the country, which it seems like that must have been the thing that had been distracting him because he's played pretty much the same except for the final ball. It just never seemed to be there. There's, there was always something going on with that final ball. Uh, and all of a sudden, over the past two weeks, it's all of a sudden Emmanuel Reynoso back to MVP form. And I don't know if getting his family in was the thing that sparked it, but if that's it and Emmanuel Reynoso is back to his MVP form, this team's going to be really goal dangerous for the rest of the season. It seems like that's the, the, the fix to all the attack was yes. Emmanuel Reynoso is the guy that this offensive rely, this offense relies on and he's really played well over the past two weeks. And that was really what did it against Colorado and Chicago, and as well as uh, some late game substitutions, well, 60th minute substitutions. Over the past two games, Adrian Heath has put on Bong Hukle Huangwane and Abu Dinladi in the 60th minute, and it's completely changed the games against Colorado and Chicago, where their defenses couldn't handle those guys' raw pace and just their work rate, work rate over the last 30 minutes of the match. And it completely changed the game against Chicago. You see that uh, Wyatt Omsberg, former Minnesota United guy who now plays for Chicago, had, was having a really good game, but then gives up one bad pass to Bongi and he jumps all over it, gets it to Emmanuel Reynoso at the top of the box. And Emmanuel Reynoso, given that much space and time, he's going to score a goal from against anyone. And he did it, and it just seemed like Chicago crumbled from there. Same thing happened against Colorado. Uh, one mistake leads to just a windfall of goals, and Chicago had to make some changes defensively because they realized – our guys who had been on defense for the past 60 minutes couldn't keep up with the pace of, of Huang Wane and Abu. So it's just, it's a fact, or it's a combination of Emmanuel Reynoso getting back into form and those late game substitutions really changing the games the past two weeks. We are looking forward to the match this weekend. What are some of your expectations for the match this weekend? What are your overall expectations for Minnesota at the end of the season? Yeah. Uh, on my podcast today with me and the, the radio play-by-play voice, Dan Terrar, we, we talked about this match a little bit and we both predicted a draw. We, with how informed LAFC is at the moment, it's hard to see Minnesota win. But as I said earlier, these games bring out weird performances from Minnesota. So it really feels like anything could go between these two sides. Uh, anything could happen. It, it's hard for me to say that Minnesota will win. It'll, it's hard for me to say LAFC will win. Um, LAFC, great offense so far. Uh, but Minnesota's defense is one of the best in the league. Uh, can they? Sh- can Minnesota shut LAFC's defense down? Can it- Minnesota keep up their attack over the past two weeks? I, the most likely result for me, I think, is a draw. 
So in looking beyond this game to the rest of the season, what do you really think is the ceiling for Minnesota this year? I mean, are you guys cut bound, shield bound? What do you think are you at the onset here with, with eight games under our belt is the scope of the season? So at the beginning of the season, once the roster, when we went into the season with the roster, with the way it was, it felt like there was maybe, as Adrian Heath likes to say, week in and week out, that they're one or two players away. They've got Kamar Lawrence in at left back to solidify a really good back line, one of the more underrated back lines I personally think in the league. And now you have Emmanuel Reynoso really uh, getting into form here. So it feels like this team could or should challenge any team in the Western Conference. It, if, if they don't have the top end outside of Emmanuel Reynoso, they don't have the top end players that the Seattle's, the LAFC's, the LA Galaxies of the world have, but their depth, their squad from one to 10 or from two to 10 or two to 11, or however you want to say it, their bench and the rest of the guys on the roster outside of Emmanuel Reynoso are all exceptionally good. And they've been together for a number of years now. So they know how well, how each other plays. They know what Adrian Heath expects of them. It really does feel like this is the most talented roster that this club has ever had. And that's including the team that went to the Western Conference final in 2020. This just feels like you've got Dane St. Clair who's got a couple years now under his belt as a young goalkeeper. You've got a defense in front of him that's really underratedly good. You've got a midfield pair that will cover the entire field all match long in Will Trapp and Kervin Ariaga. And now you have this attack of Robin, a very dynamic attack of Robin Lowe, Luis Amaria, Adrian Anu, uh, Huang Wane, Abudin Lati, Franco Fragapane, Emmanuel Reynoso. You can just, with any guy, any of those guys who are not starting, they can come off the bench and cause a real threat late on in a match to a defense that's been tired out by the rest of the attackers that have been starting. So it feels like, yes, this may be a homerish take from a guy who works for the team uh, on a freelance basis, but it really does feel like they should be able to compete with just about anybody in the Western Conference. It, I don't know that they'll get get to the championship game, but they should really go. They should really have their expectations to get there because of the way this roster has been built and how they've been built over the past couple of seasons. Uh, just the consistency of all those players staying together and how well they play together. If the defense stays as strong as it has this season and the offense continues the form it has over the last two weeks, this is going to be a really dangerous team. Yeah, I completely agree. This is a team I think we all at the onset of the season saw big things from this year and are expecting to be competitive in the West. We wish you guys all the best of luck this season. Maybe, maybe not this upcoming weekend. You can take that game off. That's fine for us. But we appreciate you coming on the show. Once again, folks, our opponent correspondent this week has been Jonathan Harrison. He is the radio host and producer of Minnesota United's radio broadcast. Please give him a follow at John Harrison 90 on social media. He's a great resource for info out there. So uh, once again, sir, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, as a, For a radio broadcast, I'm hoping there's some last minute action, but I know you guys won't like that. Well, hopefully we have an exciting game nonetheless. Thank you so much for joining us. With that, folks, we'll be right back after this short break with the final segment of today's show. Hey, this is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, folks, we've just heard from our opponent correspondent, and we are all geared up for this weekend's matchup versus the Loons. All right, Chris, you got a team in Minnesota that is currently streaking at the moment, right? They've been on a hot one. They just beat the best defensive team in the league right now, 3-0. They're coming in with a plan, as we've heard, to try and wear us down over 60 minutes and then sub in some athletic players for the final 30 to try and seal this one. 
Sounds an, an awful lot like LAFC's game plan. So I'm curious, how do you think this one's going to shake out, my friend? You know my answer, bro. LAFC is going to win 2-0. Max Grappel is going to get his shutout. And, uh, you know, he's due, bro. He's due. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Uh, I think that LAFC is going to win 2-0. And uh, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good match and it's going to be a good thing too, because I don't think Tyler Miller is going to get the start. And so, uh, you know, it'll be one of those things where LAFC is dominant against Minnesota and maybe this will be the difference maker and Tyler Miller will get the start again. He just won't get the start against LAFC. I appreciate your optimism, my friend. I, this is a real test for LAFC. They're catching us coming right off of, uh, you know, last week where we played three games in seven days. Now we have the whole week off to rest and recover for this game, but you're still asking this team to come out of one of the most physically intense weeks of its calendar season so far and go into this game. We're likely going to be without Raito. He will still be out injured. So he's not going to be available for us. we got a couple other people around the team that have picked up Knox. So, you know, I, I do have some concerns in that regard. LAFC are a team that has really started slow throughout the course of, you know, the first 30 minutes of a game. We are leading all of Major League Soccer in goals scored at the latter stages in both the first and second half. So this is certainly a team that can kick it on late. But now we're playing a team that's not known for folding late, but known for bringing in power off the bench and, and surging late. I don't know exactly how that stacks up. I, I do think a stalemate in this game, I know it's at home, I know it's at the bank, but... I do think when we're talking first place versus fifth place to walk out of this game with one point would be okay. And I would be all right with the two, two or a one, one in this game. But uh, this, this has the makings. We, we keep talking about all these poor teams that we faced or teams that are in poor runs of form and calling them trap games. And, you know, this to me is a game where we're facing a tough opponent that's currently hitting their stride, you know, and, and we've stumbled a little bit lately, um, you know, both with with injuries and, and some form early in games. I, I know, look, we're, we're still the first place supporter shield team, so we can't grab too much. But, you know, I would not be surprised if, if you know, Minnesota comes out and takes this game. I also wouldn't be surprised if LAFC all of a sudden everything starts firing and we score a ludicrous amount of goals and run away with this one. Uh, this is a really hard game to predict. Both of these teams are really good. And so I, I have a feeling we're going to see some good soccer. But uh, I have no idea how to predict this one, but I'm going to go ahead and call it 3-2 LAFC. I think we take the late goal to take this one. That could be. That could be. I'm not saying it's not true, and I'm not saying that things can happen other than a scoreline of 2-0 because I've been incorrect for the last, like, five games in a, in a row. Blind but, squirrel, bro. Blind squirrel. Yeah. But you know what? I, Either way, regardless of the scoreline, I expect LAFC to come out and to be aggressive. And I, I, you know, you look at some of the some of the last minute goals or some of the fluky types of goals that had happened over the last uh, few seasons, and I feel like those were due to weak spots in the defense and for counterattacks. And I, I don't feel like LAFC has been giving up goals like that this season. And of course, not in the second half either. I'm, I mean, that was usually one of our biggest um, weak spots was the fact that we would not be able to hold on to leads in late, late parts of the game. And that is definitely not the narrative so far this season. So 
I do expect that LAFC is going to be aggressive, that they're going to control that midfield, and that we are going to see some goals flying in the back of the net, shot by LAFC players, and it's going to be an exciting time. I do think Trap being out on yellow card accumulation is a big advantage for LAFC. Um, definitely gives us an opportunity in that midfield. But, you know, we saw it in the game versus Carson where they were missing their best midfielder and all of our expectations for midfield dominance sort of crumbled away throughout the course of that game. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know in this game. I still feel like we have the depth, but without the Raitos and without the Tajuri Shradis, um, you know, that depth is going to be tested. Although, let's be honest, the offensive folks that have picked up for them and the likes of Moose and Cal Jennings have certainly performed and found the back of the net since they've had to rotate in. So, again, both of these teams are deep. Both of these teams are on a good run of form right now. It's going to be a fun one, and I think this is really going to start separating the cream here, right? We're going to start to see, is this LAFC team for real? Is this legit? Because we've played, you know, some poor teams. And now we're going to have a chance to not only take on the likes of teams like Minnesota, but we've got a bunch of other good teams, Philadelphia, Portland, a few others coming up that are no slouches themselves, Austin, who are currently in second place as well, all throughout the course of this next month. This is really going to be a fun four weeks to see exactly where this team is. I wouldn't be surprised if we slip a little bit. That's kind of to be expected. And, you know, with all these statistical anomalies that have been happening, that there has to be some regression to a mean at some point in time. And just as, the advantageous goals that had been falling to Minnesota throughout the course of our historical matchups against this squad are likely not to happen again. It's also unlikely that LAFC goes an entire season without capitulating late in a game as well, too. So, you know, that's that's the mathematical approach on it. But from a practical standpoint, I think this game is really a coin flip and could go either way. It's not going to happen this game, though, because, again, it's going to end 2-0 with Max Cropo getting his shutout that he hasn't had in like six or seven weeks. So if, if you get it right, are you going to stick to it because you got it right? Is this just no, your forever? No, prediction? it's no, this is my prediction until it's true. And then once it's true, then I'm going to move on to something else. All right. All right. I can live with that. I can live with that. Um, a couple other things before we quit out today, I wanted to give a shout out um, to LAFC Hawaii, Nick, uh, and all the guys at Voices of the Black and Gold, thank you so much for having me on as a guest on the episode that aired and recorded earlier today. Really appreciate every opportunity to go out there and preach a little shoulder to shoulder, a little black and gold gospel to everybody. They gave me an opportunity to speak on the work we've done with District 9 Ultras in attempting to raise some money from Mofasio. And on that note, please, folks, we encourage you to go and donate to the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court direct donations are the best way to get money straight to that Mo Foundation. And we sincerely appreciate everyone who does that. Um, if you're a fan of libations, District 9 Ultra still has bottles of tequila available in Blanco Reposado and Cristalino. If anyone is interested in those, you can hit up D9U socials. That's about it we got for this episode. We'd like to thank you all for listening to episode 116 of Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. I want to give a shout out to our guest, Blake. Homie, we appreciate you coming on and showing up. Nothing but love for you. And a big shout out to our opponent correspondent, Jonathan Harrison, for joining us from the radio broadcast for Minnesota United as well. With that, folks, that'll wrap us up for 116. Catch you on the other side. Take us home, Sticks. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that